Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. In 1981, I became golf correspondent of the Irish Times, and that uh, led me into a serious interest in the game of golf and those involved. A leading figure in Ireland at the time was Harry Bradshaw, so inevitably I, I, we crossed paths. I did get a golf lesson from him in Port Marnock. As usual in these things, when a journalist meets sports person, there's talk about uh, projects like books or recordings of some description. Because Harry's son, Harry Jr., happened to be a, a sound recordist with RTE, I had this idea that we do uh, a special project on Harry. Now, Harry was obviously going to be telling me a lot of different stories about different times in his career, and. Um, it was fairly clear that we would need some form of linkage um, to tie one segment with another. So Neil Tobin struck me as an obvious man for this particular job and um, I approached Neil and uh, as a keen golfer, apart from being a great artist, yeah, he was happy to help and we did the job. The idea was we would have a sort of a fireside chat because Harry, Harry Bradshaw, the Brad, as he, of course he was known, was essentially a storyteller and uh, no better format in which to exploit that than in a fireside chat. We then had people, we needed people to prompt Harry about his more famous stories. And uh, Harry set the tapes rolling and that was it. In 1949, Bobby Locke, perhaps his greatest adversary, commented, I say with all sincerity that Harry Bradshaw is the best professional sportsman I have ever played against. Pat Ward Thomas, the celebrated golf correspondent of the Manchester Guardian, referred to him as the lovable Bradshaw, unchanging as the seasons and honest as the sun. For more than 50 years, Harry Bradshaw has brightened our lives through the splendour of his golf and the warmth of his personality. And throughout that time, he has enthralled golfers everywhere with reminiscences about the game he loves. In his 75th year, Harry, as the acknowledged father figure of Irish professional golf, was chosen to represent Dublin's Lord Mayor when making a special presentation to Jack Nicholas at Muirfield Village, Dublin, Ohio, as part of our capital city's millennium celebrations. Another milestone in a career that has brought him into contact with golf's greatest exponents, who, at home and abroad, have all responded to the ready smile and fun-loving nature of the man who became known affectionately throughout the game simply as the Brad. So now, we start our look at the life and times of the Brad 
with this tribute from Peter Alice. It was in the early 50s that I uh, first had the opportunity of playing golf with Harry Bradshaw. I had followed his exploits in the championship that he so nearly won, 1949, avidly in the newspapers. And uh, I remember thinking at the time how desperately unlucky Harry had been. And then all of a sudden, we were companions out on the golf course. You're a remarkable man, Harry, with uh, those feet of yours that have walked as many miles as most Everest climbers, rather flat, if you don't mind me suggesting, and a, and a body that wasn't as sculptured as Arnold Schwarzenegger or even Sylvester Stallone in his very modest Rambo movies. Yet you had an ability not only to hit the ball straight and keep it in play and putt quite beautifully. I always remember you saying that you missed out on the best years of your putting. They were the war years when you hardly ever thought of missing from, well, was it 15 feet or 15 yards? I can't fully remember, but I'm sure your golfing brain will remember our conversation. You were one of the greatest experts of the shot into the pin from what, 30 to 100 yards? And then that very particular putting stroke of yours, the, the putter blade in front of the ball, a look at the hole, over the top and on its way the ball sped with your head rooted firmly in place and usually you listened and you heard them drop. You'll probably find that uh, now you're a couple over fours, your fortunes are once again changing. I remember very well coming to Port Marnock for the first time almost 30 years ago, going into your modest professional shop and listening to more of your stories. The day before, you'd gone round the course 11 times, pulling your own trolley and carrying two bags of clubs for visiting Americans. They'd both gone round. I think it was in the, the ninth round of the day. They'd, they'd both gone round in 78 and you'd given them nine and 12 shots respectively and beaten one, three and two and the other two and one. I'm not quite sure whether your stories are better than Arthur Lee's of Sunningdale fame or not, but uh, they were pretty damn good. But you'll find that your stories will grow now in stature. It's a funny thing when you were probably... Uh, talk about prophets in your own land... I remember people say, oh, well, Harry's always out on the course, he's always giving lessons, or he's always away, or something. Now, you've settled back and young Master Townsend's taken over, built him a new shop, and how well he runs it, and what a fine club Port Marnock is. But there you are, you stroll about like the legendary figure you are now, and people tell tales of you that really are hard to believe. I mean, to listen to them as the layman, when you were in control, your pro shop was, well, now they liken it to Harrods. Your accounting system and the way you sent out your bills would have done Price Waterhouse proud. You swung a golf club better than Bobby Jones, or was it Sam Sneed? Putted far better than Bobby Locke. And hit the ball, well, was there ever anyone who hit it further? But uh, you, Harry, have a very special place engulfing folklore and a special place in my heart as indeed all my visits to Ireland have been. You live in a lovely country 
with lovely people. And uh, I hope that I'm going to come and visit you for many more years to come. And I hope, Harry, that you'll come and visit us and we will see you just pottering about with that one old pitching wedge and a few balls in your pocket, just wandering around the acres of Port Marnock, maybe just looking for a ball or two or looking for an elderly pigeon. But whatever you're doing, I wish you well. I wonder what Peter would have made of Harry's early years at Delgany, where he learned the art of storytelling from his illustrious father, Ned Bradshaw. These stories are light years removed from the intense and generally impersonal nature of the tournament scene today. Well, Delgany was a, a big estate, and there was people named uh, Letouchon, and they lived in it for... Uh, they had a big house there, a huge house, and they had a hundred bedrooms in it. And they sold it after so many years, and a man named Archer bought it. And he started a golf course in it. And um, my father, he was a fairly useful golfer at that time, and um, uh, this man Archer would he like to come as pro to Delgany. So he went there and... Uh, we lived in a cottage there beside the clubhouse, and my mother and I had three brothers and two sisters, with six of us all together. And I started there, did some caddying there at uh, Delgany, and um, in those days, this is the late 20s now, um, <clears throat> Greystones Golf Course, it had never golf on the Saturday, Sunday. Mm. And they all used to rush up to Delgany. And um, this particular Sunday morning, four fellows went out on the tee, and I was in the same four ball, and I never forget, just first man hits off, second fella hits off, now there's about 90 around the tee, just about quarter to ten. And in those days, you had to tee the ball up in sand, there was no tees or anything like that. And uh, the second fella hit up the middle, the third fella got up and made a fresh air, made another fresh air and another fresh air. And he looked at the ball, put his hand in his back pocket, he had a little sound, so you're not going to make a monkey out of me. Bump, bump, <laughs> put two bullets in the ball. <laughs> and um, the caddy gets the ball and he runs, and he walks on, you see. And everyone left the first tee, they went to Woodbrook, line. They said there's a madman playing a tell has a, a, a revolver in his back pocket. And in those days, a lot of the fellas carried a revolver yeah. in their back pocket. <laughs> not for shooting golf, though. Oh, no, not for shooting golf. <laughs> but the caddy runs up and he says, Sir, what will I do with two holes in the what will I do with this ball, you see? And he looks at the caddy. He said, bring it home, make soup out of it, son. Harry, how much did you get for, for caddying uh, for a round in those <clears> days? In those days, you got a shilling and you got six minute tip and you had to clean the clubs. And if you lost the ball, Eddie, you'd, um, you wouldn't get no tip. <laughs> So you, you had to have a pair of eyes like a hawk, don't that, lose a ball. That's sure what made you so astute at finding them, I'd say. Huh? <laughs> 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 what, what age did you start playing as a professional? I, I had two clubs cut down, Brian, when um, I was about five or six years of age. You know? mm. And uh, I was called Toffee Nose. All the rest of the fellas had one club. I had one in each hand with the pro father being pro. Right. Oh, here's Toffee Nose showing off with two clubs, you know. Right. And um, you must have got a, a lot of encouragement from the members in Delgany. Well, yes, they used to take me out to play a lot, you know. I used to play with a priest there, Father Gleason. He was the curate in Bray, and um, 
I used to play nearly every day with him. And um, we got to the stage, no matter where I put the ball on the green, that putt had to go in. And I'd say, Father, that should have been in. It hit a Warren cast in the way up, or yeah. it hit a little pebble, and, and came around the hole, should have been in, you see. Now he said, I can still see the ball on the ground, you see. And I'd have to wait there, just to be from 30 feet or so. And uh, it'd wait there till I put it in. And the result was it was taking me um, four hours to do nine holes. So after about two goals of this, I said to myself, the only thing I can do now is pop these second shots in as close as I can, 8, 10, 12 feet, and I have a much quicker chance of holding from 10 feet than I would from 30 feet or 12 feet. And um, I, I brought it from four hours down to two hours. Right. And uh, it went on from that rise up, and I used to, right up to the 30s then, and I used to play with a, a butcher there every Monday. So you'd been at what age that time, Harry? Uh, I was up. I was going up to uh, seventeen or eighteen, and I used mm. to play with this butcher every um, Monday. And so he you used to work. Mistakes, Harry. <laughs> 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 and he, I know he had two big butcher stuff in Moor Street, <laughs> and uh, he used to play. I always played with a bowler hat. It looked so funny in a golf course. Big stout man, he was about sixteen stuff. And this day, anyway, at the seven, he walks in front of me about 15 or 20 yards, and I'm playing the shot, didn't he get his socket and put a big dint in his bowler hat? You see, yes, so-and-so, he says to me. I just bought that in Grafton Street this morning, and I come down here and you put a big hole. Well, I said, sir, you should be like everyone else. He said, what do you mean by that? Well, don't you wear a cap? If you wore a cap, that went over your head. See, a bowler hat <laughs> stuck right up. <laughs> Are you telling me what to wear? So he came down with a cap, the next a check cap, the next Monday, and um, he, uh, he said, you're quite right, it is very comfortable, a cap. So he stuck to the cap. And I used to play a lot, four balls and all to that, with um, with the members. Yeah. And then after that, I moved to Kilcrony, the country club. Yeah? Yeah. And um, I used to play... Um, I met this lady, an old lady, and... Um, she was 69 years of age. Mrs. Hayes was her name. I played every Tuesday, ten pounds for nine holes, and that was a lot of money. 1941. Oh, a committee man came and said to me, "Now this lady plays a quarter past nine. If you're not there, she'll say to the chauffeur, George, back. You see? So George used to drive the car up. Used to come in." And see, was I there in the shop? And I used to be there from quarter past eight with me shoes shining and all to that. I'm thinking of this <laughs> 10 pound no. And she'd go out, he'd go out and he'd say, Mrs. Hayes, Harry's there, all right, you see. And she liked this caddy and she brought this caddy from Bray. She lived in Bray. And uh, she brought this caddy up and used to sit beside the chauffeur. And he caddied for all the time. And she got on the first tee anyway. And, but this member said to me, make sure to be there all the time at 9.15. If not, she'll drive back. The other pro be before me uh, let her down two or three times. So um, I said, for £10, I'd be there at 8 o'clock in the morning. Half <laughs> past six for that matter. So. <laughs> Travelling with Expressway and your free travel pass is made easier with a reserved seat. When booking journeys at expressway.ie, make sure to select Seat Only Reservation Free Travel Scheme and pay just €2 Euro per trip to guarantee your seat. Bookings can also be made from ticket machines in stations and priority boarding will be given to those who book in advance.
Travel without a booking is still more than welcome, if you prefer, provided we have space on board. Take it easy with your free travel pass and expressway.ie. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. So, um, she come on to the first tea, and my God, she was a wonderful lady. And she'd take out her purse and she'd say, Harry, don't be afraid to win money off. I've plenty. Just look. And my eyes, tenors and five pound notes there. You see, my eyes nearly used to pop out. And um, she used to give me five shillings for every birdie I got. You see, one on the par. And um, sometimes I got four, sometimes three, sometimes two. I always got, never got uh, less than two. So she said this Tuesday, to me, she said, Harry, I'll play 18 holes next Tuesday if it's to kill me. So anyway, um, I had put for nine birdies the first nine holes and never got one. And the hole missed on the first and the right, the second I misshaved the hole on the left, third, and this is the way it went on for nine holes. And there was a long walk from the ninth green to the tenth tee, and she said, Harry, you're not trying one inch. And my eyes were popping out like organ stocks down here trying to get that ball in the hole. So I said, anyway, I mean, look, my change the second I keep on pressing forward. I mean, look, my change the second nine, you see? Came along, birdie 10, birdie 11, birdie 12. The 13th was a great short hole, 196 yards. And if you hooked, you were into the Dargal River, then never see your ball again. And I hit this three iron and knocked it about 15 feet past the stick. And um, I hit, it was coming downhill, and as I hit it, was gaining speed. Hit the back of the hole like that, and jumped up and stayed two inches to the far side of the hole. Missed me five shillings there. <laughs> I birdied 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And she gave me the 10 pounds, and she handed me the 2 pounds. She said, I knew you weren't trying an inch the first time. <laughs> I hear there's a story in Kilcrony where you used to pay for pennies when you were there. Is that, is that any uh, that's true, that? Brian. Uh, Joe McMinnon was captain, and um, this morning about 10 o'clock, the phone rings, and I said hello, and he said, um, this is Joe McMinnon, and he said, are you doing anything this afternoon? And I said, no. Well, he said, I have two Englishmen coming down, he said, and um, if you come over to the hotel for afternoon tea, about a quarter to four. So I said, all right. So when he said that, you see, I got the old wedge out and putter and worked overtime there for two or three hours at the wedge and putter. You know. So anyway, um, he came on to juice me, four caddies waiting, off we go, you see. So Joe said um, to one of the English men, what we play for? 
And this chap said, they played at Port Monarch on the Wednesday, and they said we'd play for the same bet we had at Port Monarch, a penny a yard. And I looked, <laughs> I looked at Joe McWin. My God, I said, I'm after putting three or four hours hard work in with that wedge and putter for a penny a yard, and the winner will get about four and sixpence, five shillings, you see. So I didn't try an inch anyway, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth was a long par five, and I'm just walking along. Joan knew well that I wasn't trying. There was a long walk from the fifth green to the sixth tee, and he said, have you much money on you? Well, I said, I changed a few checks and bray uh, this morning. He said, you may need it and you may need them, he said, and walked on, I stopped, you see? And the two Englishmen are behind, the caddies behind. And I said, I better put me, uh, best foot forward. So I tried much harder then from the fifth. And um, at, at the end of the round anyway, we won nine holes and they never won a hole. That meant they had nine, lost nine and half nine, you see. And this Englishman had a scorecard and every hole we won, he used to put in a peg tee right opposite the, uh, the hole we won, you see. Mm -hmm. And um, we came in anyway, and... Uh, after 18, no After 18, yeah. yeah. And um, guess what they paid us each? A penny a yard. Oh, dear, Harry. They paid us £27.19 a penny. I always remember <laughs> well. A penny was thrown and how did it work? How, was, how did the score now, work? The way it worked was, it would take the 12th was par five. Right. Well, we won that, and that's a thousand pennies to decide. <laughs> Right. And if you want to be right. nice and friendly, let them win the 140 yards. Sure. sure. <laughs> or 160. But you grab the big fish. Right. That's very the bar fires and, I, and I couldn't believe, and he kept throwing out just 20. I said, when is he going to stop? And I was expecting about four at the start. I thought it was about four, four and six was a five mm. shillings mm. a bit. And he kept throwing it out. Right. Harry, we're looking at a, a trophy here in the room there uh, with your name on it. Is, is that the first uh, <coughs> trophy well, you won as a, as a pro? The, the, Eddie, the first tournament, that's the cup there. I played yeah. in 1932 on a, a fellow named Dave Adji. He was a traveller for Bromford, which is a Penfolds later. And he, he was an art of Ireland chap. And he put that <coughs> cup up. He drew a horse in the sweep and he put the, uh, the cup up. And um, Bromford's put the money up. And that was played in 1932. And I had a great chance of winning at that. It was my first tournament. And you know the castle, Eddie? Indeed, indeed. And uh, it's a short hole, the 15th of the castle. And I hit a three iron in 12 inches from the hole and knocked it in. Now, the 18 tee backs up when you're walking to the 16 tee, you see. And in those days, you had Marcus, two ladies, one for each player, you see. And, of course... Paddy, the late Paddy Man, the late Willie Known, they were the, the kingpins then, big Gary Fulmer up to 18. And the two ladies, marking for Willie Known and Paddy Man, came back to the two ladies. We had to wait till the, and came back and said, How is your young boy? I forget now the young other prop. Well, she said, This young fella from Delhi, and he, God, he's, he nearly had the one at that hole. There. <laughs> and how is he? So they compared the scores in the car, and, and I moved up, uh, and the other pro was. And she came back to me and she says, if you finish five, five, four, you'll win. Three powers. 
And when she said that, I didn't know whether I was standing on my feet or my head. And I went 666. And I often said to myself, if that lady hadn't said a word, I think it would have won that cup the first year. Mm -hmm. So So I wasn't mapped then, and um, we um, came to... um, 1938, and they played it in Scaries. <coughs> and I was playing with the late Pat O'Connor, you see. And Pat went in there under an awful lot of operations, about six for gallstones, and he's burning up the course. At the 17th, he knocked his putt in from four feet, and he collapsed in the green. And Ward went around, there was a doctor in, in, in the house, so to house, speak, you see. Yeah. And two doctors rushed in on the green, linked them. And I had just put from um, just inside... And he let it go, and I just go into putt, you see. And I, when he let this go, I looked and hit the ball at the same time, and I knocked the four feet past. And I was lucky to knock the next in, you see. Played down the 18th, the doctors linked him down the 18th, and he had a six of the 18th. He wanted a four for 68, finished 70. And I finished, I had a four, I finished 73. Now, the doctors wouldn't let him play anymore. They said, no, Pat. Said to the steward, lay a fire in the lawn and get a coach and put him on. And they gave him a prize. And uh, that left me high and dry, nobody for the afternoon. Mm. And there was a secretary in there named Monty. And he said, oh, we can't get anyone. So he rings up a man, and he was a vet, and they, uh, he said, I won't be up there for two hours. So... Well, I said, I'd have to wait, so I'm walking around and all to that. So anyway, it was only it was only nine-hole course then, and the fifth was the only short hole on it. You walked up steps to the team, a lovely short hole. And Monty came up to secretary and the captain and the captain's wife, and I got into this little bunker on the right, and I skinted over the green into the other bunk, skinted the uh, back again, almost hanging into the bunk, chipped up and got a five, you see. And he said to this um, four handicap, who was a member there, and he said, can I have a look at that young fellow's card? He had a big, deep voice. Oh, you see, he's not doing any good, you see. And I started badly. So when he went down to the clubhouse, and uh, did not, I boarded a six, seven, eight, nine. I knocked us out in level power. And I went around again, you see. So anyway, um, being two hours late, what did the boys do? It was a terrible insult. There was two more players behind me. Mm. What did they do? They tossed for the cup, and we still out on the course. <laughs> tossed for it. The first two, uh, there was Bilkins and Jimmy Cassie Dundalk, they tied. And uh, there were one for um, four, two seventy-twos. And I had tossed the cup and gave the envelopes around. We didn't. And Tom, late Tom Shannon and his partner gave the envelopes. There wasn't much in the envelopes in those days. <laughs> gave the envelopes. I think it was fifteen pound or something for the winner. But anyway, um, I came to the seventeenth, and four members walked up. I never forget him. And one of them said, "Could well, I look at his car?" And uh, looked at the car and looked at me. As much to say, "Hey, would you, could you do it?" So this man. It was marking my card. He said to Mike, I knew nothing about it, and he said to the kid, don't tell him that he wants a four to win. Mm. You see? And um, I hit it down, a slope and fairway down behind Big Beach trees, you see? And I hit this, I had a seven iron. The caddy said, just knock it up for the clubhouse. And the fall to the ground, bring it onto the green. He said, punch in a four, 
a five iron left and will come. I said, I, give me that seven iron. I had a seven iron and always I could make you talk to me. Give me that seven iron. Yeah. Up over these beech trees, you see, and all about 200 standing in the veranda. This ball comes down, never started. Boom! 17 inches from now, went up and knocked us in. 69 and 73, won it by two shots, 142. So they had the whip around, get the envelopes back. <laughs> and whoever won the cup had it parsed away in a box taken us home, you see. And had to go and get the money back. And some of the pros were saying, I oh, had an envelope which's eight pounds and now I've only two pounds. Why didn't I go home? And I got it, you see. And of course they had to reshuffle the envelope. And um, I got the cup, and there it never played for a since. There it is, there. As you never can played see. for since. Never played for a since. Well, believe me, that you used to get a sensation in your fingers when you were about to shoot a good round. Uh, <clears throat> that happened to me as um, Vincent, as um, Trontarf. And this man gave £50, whoever broke 68. And I had a. Four years previous, I had the Linster Alliance, Eddie, the captain's prize, Eddie Hackett was captain, I knocked in 68. That was the record there. And this man gave £50, whoever broke 68. It was 36-hole competition. And I'm playing with Christy Kane. He was the pro at Royal Dublin. And we hit two good drives down the first. And I played a bad wedge. I left about 12 yards left of the stick. Christy knocks in about 15 feet. And I rimmed the hole and stayed out. And Christy rims the hole and stayed out. And walking to the... Um, Second tee, I said to Christy, I said, I'm going to rip this record wide oak. He said, that put you to be in you now. He said, I played a bad second shot. Left myself too much to do. He said, how do you know you're going to? I said, I can feel in the tops of my fingers. And I knocked it out in 32, <coughs> Vincent, and yeah. back in 32. But you had no nerves at all, so you had You never suffered Well, from I suppose I had nerves, but I had a happy knack of covering up the nerves. Yeah. You see, every every golfer's nerve, but you must have a happy neck, a uh, knack of, um, you know, getting over. Now, I, I used to love talking to people. I'd talk 15 or 20 yards uh, and then hit the ball and come back again and talk again. Now, I always said to myself, that stopped me from tightening up and playing the shot. There were, you were talking about your fingers there earlier on, the, the tingle in your fingers when you were going to have a good round. Your grip has been famous. You have a famous grip. And did you ever? Did you just grip the club like that? You know, from the time you were young, or or, or what? Well, there was there's only two it? golfers I think in the world has the grip that I, I I had two fingers out. Sometimes three fingers. Just have one finger on the shaft. And how it <coughs> become to get that? And the other man <coughs> was an amateur, Mick Power of Cork. Oh, you yes. played against yes. Brian, haven't Many you? Many times, yeah. <coughs> and he had to say, I don't know how he got But how I got I couldn't... My right hand was so strong that if you gave me um, 100 balls and say, hit 30 balls down that middle, I'll give you 500 pounds. I couldn't do it. Everything was a quick... Boom, boom, boom. And I tried to get out of it, just... And the right hand used to overpower the left at impact. And this stair went out accidentally. And it just took the fingers away. And this ball went straight down the middle, Eddie. The second one went down the middle. The third one went down the middle. I couldn't believe my eyes. Mm. The fourth one, the fifth one, the sixth one. And I looked at my grip and I kissed my hands. I said, you're my baby for the rest of my life. Did anybody try to change it ever? Oh, I remember when I went over to England first, um, the famous George Duncan, 
He said, what are you over here? Well, I said, Mr. Duncan, one day I hope to win the... We had grip like that. He said, you're only wasting your time, boy. You see? I said, I wouldn't say that. And I very nearly proved him wrong 1949.